welcome everyone to the Big Spud 2021 podcast. This is Andre from Mental Elf, and I'm here with Peter Kinderman. Uh, he's Professor of Clinical Psychology at the University of Liverpool, and he's giving a talk on the 16th of June at the Big Spud 2021 conference, which is happening online this year. And the talk is entitled Beyond Disagreement and Consensus, Managing Multiple Perspectives. Peter, I'm going to start with an easy question. What is mental illness? Oh, well, mental illness is a disputed term. So from my perspective, I think that, sure, when people talk about mental health, mental illness, uh, we sort of know what people are talking about. We're talking about those sorts of problems that affect our mood, affect our behaviour, affect the way that we think about the world and lead to all of the difficulties that we know about. But I think when we when we use a term like mental illness, I think we're also doing something uh, quite significant. And I think with some problems attached to it. So we're suggesting by the very use of the word illness that it falls into the same broad category of experiences as other illnesses. And indeed, when I have debates with people about the nature of psychological distress, people will use analogies such as when when I talk about uh, our um, emotional difficulties being understandable and essentially normal, people will say that you know, sniffing up a virus and then getting a, a, a response as the virus grows in your nose is entirely normal. Swallowing belladonna and then feeling sick is entirely normal. What is it that I'm talking about? But I think that the concept of mental illness reflecting an abnormality or a pathology or a dysfunction or even a disease process is where I start to, to deviate. So my, my first answer, mental illness is a disputed term, still stands. I think we know what we're talking about. Uh, and therefore, we, we've got a shared topic. But I think the use of that term also in, indicates some really important and interesting and valuable uh, disagreements about perspective, about why people end up depressed, why people are anxious uh, all the time and it disrupts their lives, why people have experiences that other people don't have. Uh, and yeah, we have different perspectives on that. And I guess this conference obviously is focusing specifically on this term personality disorder, which is highly contested. And people diagnosed with that um, generally despise the term. And, you know, understandably, it's massively stigmatizing. How do you think we should help individuals who are diagnosed with personality disorder? And how do you think we should better understand how to support them? Okay, so obviously that's... Yeah, an important question is also a big question with lots of elements to the answer. So first of all, I think you're right in your statement about people's experience. The vast majority of people receiving that diagnosis despise it. And even there, what on earth are we doing running a system where most people despise what we're doing to them? Oh, so step one, stop. Okay, don't, you know, it's a bit like the much maligned uh, idea of, you know, don't be evil. Just don't do things that people despise, okay? It's kind of bad. I think that the, there's a reason for that, which is that, uh, well, there are two reasons for that. The first is that nearly all of the things that follow from that diagnostic approach are, are really quite harmful for people. You know, there's all sorts of disputes about how diagnoses are used and not used in the mental health system. But one of the things that we know is despite a, a bold statement a few years ago, uh, the diagnosis of personality disorder is routinely used as an exclusion criteria. 
So it is used to stop people getting the services that they need. I mean, explicitly, overtly, deliberately. So it's a despised term that stops people getting the help that they need. So let's not do that. Why? Well, because it tells you that there's something wrong with you and not only wrong with you and not even something wrong with your brain, which maybe you view as a, an organ of the body. There's something wrong with your personality. It's about as fundamental as an insult as you could possibly get. And it ignores the reality of why people develop the problems that they've got. You know, why would people feel um, frightened uh, uh, or, or um, reluctant to enter into intimate relationships? Why are people desperate to have trusting intimate relationships with people, sometimes maybe read the signs wrong and end up getting abused again and again? Why is it that people find it difficult to commit themselves? Why is it that people find it difficult to extract themselves from relationships? Why might people harm themselves when their emotions are becoming overwhelming? Hmm. Could it be that there's something fundamentally wrong with their personality? Or could it be that they've survived great traumas and, and complexities in their lives, especially in their childhoods? So it, it fundamentally labels people as dysfunctional and misses the point in, in a most extraordinary way. What should we do instead? Well, I think we should do a number of things. I think yeah, we should stop doing things that are harmful. What would we be left with? Well, we'd be left with listening to people's stories, making sense of them, helping them make sense of them, helping them learn from those stories and, and respond to the world in a way that meets their needs a little bit better. And of course, we help people do that. That's what it is to be a friend. That's what it is to be a parent. That's what it is to be a therapist, is we take people, we listen to their stories, we listen to what their goals and values in life are, and we help them achieve their goals and values. We don't put right a dysfunction. We help them achieve their goals. So we could do that. Practical terms, look, you know, so some of my colleagues are very keen on the idea that instead of using a pathologizing diagnostic framework, what we should do is use a narrative framework. Um, and I'm sympathetic to that. I can also see, you know, we've got a country which, you know, even after Boris Johnson and his criminal cronies have devastated the historic union, we'd be left with England, maybe, of a nation of 50 million people and to deal with a healthcare system that responds in a narrative fashion to such complexity and such um, you know, weight of, of demand does need systems and it needs nomenclature and it needs codification and it needs uh, decision matrices. But my argument would be that we listen to what people are saying and we follow the principles that have actually been laid down in my profession in clinical psychology for decades, which is we identify people's problems, we then formulate those problems and we come up with an action plan. If we want to then attach uh, recognizable labels to those problems. So, you know, relationship difficulties, non-suicidal self-harm, low mood, guilt, anger, those sorts of labels, they exist in both of the major diagnostic frameworks, ICD and DSM. They are actually identified by the World Health Organization as remunerable codes. In other words, if our employers, if, if NHS trusts permitted us to do it, the NHS expects that if somebody is experiencing anger and wishes to receive help for that, then you can bill them for your time in helping them alleviate their feelings of anger. If people are harming themselves, for God's sake, help them. And if you want to code it down as non-suicidal self-injury, then fine, that, that's a useful code. They don't have a disorder. They're not ill. They don't have a pathology. There's nothing wrong with their personality. What they are is they're harming themselves. So record that. 
get on with the, the business of formulating why they might be harming themselves and what they want to do about it. So I would say, stop doing the things that are harmful. Stop assuming that there's something wrong with people. Assume that these experiences are very real, absolutely problematic, and definitely things that we should intervene to help people with, but record them as what they are and then respond to them as human beings. And, and we can do all of that with what we have now, uh, our technology, our record systems, our therapeutic approaches. Um, so we should, we should drop the conceptual model that insists that there's something wrong with people by attaching disorder label, labels to people's experiences and just get on with the business of responding and helping people. So if we if we if we take that through broader than personality disorders to other kind of severe mental illnesses, things like bipolar disorder, psychosis, if we're dumping disorders, if we're leaving that as a kind of framework, and we're kind of having a revolution really here in mental health, both in terms of you know research and services that you're proposing. What impact would that have on, for example, a young person with, I don't know, a bipolar disorder diagnosis and addiction problems, or a young mum who's experiencing psychosis during the perinatal period? How would you see services adapting from what they currently are using this new kind of approach that you're suggesting for those sorts of people who are very severely ill? Well, I... I dispute the idea of very severely ill, I would say they have very, very serious problems that they need addressing. So um, I, I think there's all sorts of changes uh, that, that would follow. So um, so if you take, for instance, a, a young man who's, who's having uh, um, uh, uh, very low uh, episodes of very low mood, episodes of elated, you know, hyperkinetic uh, mood, um, mania, hypermania, uh, addiction problems. Th those are all problems that I recognise. They're problems that would worry me if they were happening in the lives of people whom I love, and I would want to do something to help them. I think suggesting that they that those problems come about because he has an underlying illness called bipolar disorder is speculative, and it's speculative to the extent that it's speculative in the sense that nobody has ever come up with any evidence to support that speculation in the history of humankind. It's that kind of level of speculation. So we know that people have manic episodes. We know that people have episodes of depression. We know that people uh, uh, take uh, substances that can become dependence-forming or addictive and they affect our mood. We know these things. We know quite a lot about why people experience these problems. So we know, for instance, that people who have experienced major traumatic life events and people who've experienced um, deprivation in their childhoods are much more likely to report these sorts of experiences than people who don't have those sorts of uh, experiences, to the extent that um, the link between traumatic and uh, negative events in people's childhood and psychotic experiences, at least one of my colleagues has reported that the the epidemiological link, the causal link between traumatic experiences in childhood and psychotic experiences is as strong as the link between smoking and lung cancer. So we know some of the causes of those sorts of experiences. We also know quite a lot about the psychology of them. So we know about things like dissociative experiences and psychosis. We know about sleep deprivation and psychotic experiences. We know about source monitoring in psychological terms 
and hallucinations. We know about racism, homophobia, bullying, and paranoia. We know how people process social information. We know about confirmation bias. We know about jumping to conclusions. We know about the way that stress and anxiety affects the way that we make judgments and heuristic reasoning. We know quite a lot about how people think and why those thinking patterns get us into difficulty. So what I would do is to suggest that if somebody is experiencing episodes of low mood, episodes of hypermania, and has addiction problems, that those problems would be recognized and we start to work on a formulation as to why those problems have emerged and what to do about them. I suspect that for people whose mood is very low or for people who have psychotic uh, episodes, uh, that medication might be helpful. I don't have any particular problem with that. Um, I veer towards the analysis that Joe Moncrief, Joanna Moncrief makes, which is the drugs that we've uh, developed for, for use in mental health care ha- have major problems, major side effects, but mainly when they're used in order to treat supposed underlying illnesses, which I have great doubts about that conceptual framework. So long-term use of antidepressant medication doesn't appear to be terribly helpful. Long-term use of antipsychotic medication doesn't seem to reduce the intensity of people's psychotic experiences, but does shorten their life. So I would veer towards short-term and specific use of medication where necessary and be very cautious about it. So, you know, what the person should experience is not some sort of weird circular logic that the experiences they're reporting are symptoms of an illness whose presence can be uh, determined by the fact that they're reporting the symptoms and yet still manages to cause the symptoms. But instead, we look at the root causes of their problems. We identify their root causes and record them. And then we start to work on what might help alleviate them in the short term and what might help them develop ways of combating and overcoming them, finding ways of responding were those experiences to return at a future date, nipping them in the bud, short term effects or possibly longer-term resolution of either those problems or the thinking styles that might contribute to those problems. What people would find recorded on their notes was that in the same way that I might have had an episode of um, nasal rhinitis, a virus comes across my my desk, Uh, quite naturally I respond by, because my body is my body, my body harbors the development of a viral infection and I get a sore nose and sneeze a bit and then my immune system fights it off and that's recorded in my notes as that I had a a viral illness that's fine you'd record in somebody's notes that they had a period of intense low mood and they did time off work when they go to the American uh, um, uh, border checks and the guy with the mirrored sunglasses says have you ever been diagnosed with a mental illness the guy replies no because he hasn't What has happened is a caring and responsible professional has identified an episode of low mood. Good. And that's a good thing. And I'm glad that that was done. And I'm glad it's on my notes. Now, if the Americans decide to go down the route of, say, hang on a minute, we're going to make our own definitions. We're going to count that as a diagnosis of mental illness. Well, not fine. But that's, you know, identifying experiences is not the same as diagnosing illnesses. And the conceptual model that follows is maybe that guy wouldn't think that he's got something wrong with him. Maybe he doesn't think that there's some problem with his brain. And incidentally, we could bring up the chemical imbalance idea, which is one of these zombie theories that, you know, there was a photograph on Twitter recently of a guy who posted a a stack of textbooks um, claiming that the chemical imbalance theory 
didn't appear in any of them. Well, I read the textbooks and it appeared in at least seven because I counted them and then I got bored because I couldn't bother to read the others. So this idea that there's something fundamentally wrong with your brain producing this, it wasn't the fact that you grew up in a really weird uh, household fearing bullying from your parents and ended up relating to people in really quite an odd way. No, that's not what happened at all. What happened is there's something wrong with your frontal lobes that needs to be put right with chlorpromazine. So people wouldn't grow up with these misunderstandings of the way their own emotions worked. And we'd, we'd get on with helping people recover. So I'd absolutely recognise these problems as being problems. I'd absolutely respond to them. I'd record them in precision. And of course, there's more precision in recording people's experiences than in recording their illnesses, by definition, because the illness diagnoses can only follow from a reduced data set based on the people's experiences in the first place. Um, and that's how I would respond. What I what I'd find in practice is you'd get problem identification and formulation, short-term rather than long-term use of medication, heavy reliance on um, psychotherapy in the medium term, and a great deal more emphasis on the prevention of problems in the first place. So for instance, I would put as much money into uh, preventing bullying amongst peers at school as I would on uh, researching the next generation of antipsychotic medication. Uh, a friend of mine told me only a couple of days ago uh, that one of his relatives had been admitted to hospital um, with you know, potentially in extremist fatal consequences of restricting her calorie intake. And we were talking about the diagnosis of, uh, of eating disorders. Turns out she'd been horrendously sexually uh, assaulted at school amongst her, her peers. And, you know, the consequences follow. So I'd put my attention on bullying, anti-bullying practices at school rather than the better identification of the diagnosis of anorexia nervosa. Uh, sorry, that was a very long-winded and possibly angry response, but I hoped to get across. We'd recognise the problems, we'd take them seriously, but we'd think about them differently. I'm really interested in what you think of how the conversations currently happen because you're talking about uh, an impossibility of reaching consensus. Um, now, I think what happens or what has happened traditionally is that these kind of academic bun fights that take place, they've traditionally taken place at conferences, you know, in the letters pages of leading journals. And in some ways, over the last decade or so, social media has replaced that with this kind of far more lawless style of discussion. Um, what impact do you think that public battle between academics has on people living with mental health difficulties? I think we should have these debates in public. Um, the one thing that I would say is that the, the debate in the social media sphere is, is profoundly disrespectful. So I've had senior psychiatrists posting uh, photographs of their dogs and saying that Peter Kinderman is less intelligent than their dogs. I've had people saying that I'm a right wing, uh, uh, that I'm the same as, uh, I think the same as um, Tommy Robinson, people comparing me to Mussolini, uh, people saying that I'm the same, me and my friends are the same as the, the BNF. I've had people saying that I've, I'm corrupt. I've had people saying that, that, that I'm a misogynist, that I'm an anti-vaxxer, that, that I'm a Scientologist, um, people saying that I'm part of a, a right-wing conspiracy. And these are all practicing NHS consultant psychiatrists. When I've complained about them, they appear untouchable. Now, that, I think, is unacceptable. 
but it happens. So I think bring it on. Let's have the debate in the public. Let, let's shine the, the light of uh, uh, the sunshine onto some of these claims, including mine. So if I were to say I'm sceptical about the long-term use of antidepressants, then we have personal stories of people saying, well, actually, antidepressants helped me a great deal. We can debate why and how and what effect that has. When I say I don't see much evidence of the long-term benefits of antipsychotic prescription in, in the longer term, then let's have the debate about it, including my claims being exposed to that discussion. Um, when I say I think there is a better way of doing things other than diagnosis, I think it would be respectful if people were to debate the relative merits as they see it of a experiential as opposed to a diagnostic way of coding people's presenting problems, rather than posting photographs of their dog and comparing me unfavorably to it. So absolutely, let's have it in public. Let's have open access publication. Let's have peer review before publication and peer review after publication. Let's debate the pros and cons of these things. Let's debate both the facts, as in, you know, does, does the data uh, stack up in the way that Peter claims it does? And also the implications, do the data mean what he says they mean? But let's do it respectfully. And it, and it often isn't. And I suppose my question is about the impact that that has on people in the public who are struggling with mental health difficulties. So when you have that kind of, you know, extreme disagreement between a senior academic like yourself and between a senior clinician, what do you think the ramifications are of that? So that puts... I think me in a very difficult position because I, I think that out of you know a thousand people seeing uh, an exchange like that on social media, incidentally, I don't respond to those people. I, I simply never reply to them. I, there's an interesting, interesting thing on Twitter, which is that I think people think I'm engaging with them, but I just watch it come and watch it go. Um, so the I think of a thousand people watching the exchange, I think you know nine hundred of them will probably go. Ooh, that's a bit well, and they'll think about it, and they'll be able to weigh it up. Of the hundred remaining people, I, I think um, those hundred people will will probably be quite distressed. They'll they'll be saying, "I would really like you lot to stop arguing with each other and and start working together in order to help my son." That that's what they say, and that hurts me a great deal because what I really don't want to do is to indulge a Twitter spat rather than helping individuals. That's the main reason why I don't bother engaging with these unpleasant people. Um, I, I occasionally write to their employers um, who usually defend them, um, but I don't engage with them because I, I don't want Twitter spats. I want us to collaborate on offering the best quality of care based on the best conceptual models. The problem I have is that I think that, that we are doing vulnerable members of society extreme harm in the way that we currently prosecute these things. We are telling people that these powerful uh, brain damaging drugs are massively helpful and the data is maybe, maybe just about better than nothing on balance, but we could use them better, but we tell them that they are effective. We are accused of pill shaming when what of course we're doing is talking about the pros and cons of different approaches to helping people in real distress. Um, and I don't think that the risk of 
people saying, could you please come together to help my son? He's really, really, really at risk. Um, means therefore I go, fine, take chlorpromazine forever. Have, have a lobotomy. Yeah, tell your daughter that she should never have children because she's got a diagnosis of schizophrenia. Fine, I won't have a debate about the facts. Just go ahead. I think there is a bit where we have to say, with respect, there are different points of view on this. And so I think that it, it comes across. Now, uh, you know, one of the things that I have done on Twitter is say to people, show me a disrespectful message. And it has been difficult. So I think that in this area, I respectfully challenge people's uh, um, use of evidence and the way in which they conceive of the problems. And I point out to them and to the people watching that there are different perspectives, and I do it respectfully. Um, I think that what happens, in all honesty, is you know, somebody says, um, uh, here's a new paper on the, an audit of ECT use in the UK. And I say, yeah, I, th I think it's really worrying, and I think we should be, have huge concerns about the use of this, of this treatment. Somebody replies by saying, um, don't listen to Kinderman, he's an idiot. And then somebody else says, I wish you lot would stop fighting with each other. Well, so that, that's, that's the picture that I see. Um, I, I don't fight. I don't spat with people. I don't call for the uh, destruction of psychiatry. I don't call for the banning of, of basic biological science. I don't call for the banning of medication. I do say that I believe that people benefit from uh, psychiatry services. I do think that people benefit from a diagnostic approach to their care. I just think they would benefit an awful lot more if we took a much better approach to their care. So at half past two on Wednesday, the 16th of June, you're going to give your talk at the Big Spud 2021 conference. Why should people buy a ticket and come along to hear you talk? Because the sorts of problems that, that um, members of the public have uh, that have traditionally fallen into the uh, domain of so-called personality disorders are uh, life-affecting, traumatising, significant, important, hold people back in their, um, you know, the 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 uh, uh, hold them back in their in, in their life chances, and and we desperately need to, to help people um, be happier. Um, uh, cause less damage to themselves and to uh, people around them um, and lead more uh, fulfilled lives. It's, there is a lot of suffering out there. And the sorts of problems that people have that have traditionally been clustered under the term personality disorder uh, need intervention. And I would say they need intervention in such a way that we reflect the reality of their experience, not the pathologizing of their experience, we need to look at the reasons why people have developed these problems and what we can do to help. And in order to do that, we need to think about things a little bit differently. And hopefully, um, uh, what I will have to say will be a little bit of a, a grit in the oyster enabling us to think differently. If I was being arrogant, I might say that I would offer an alternative perspective that people might be able to be reassured by in that there, there are alternatives to the dominant narrative out there. And maybe we could work together and develop um, 
you know, a plurality of perspectives and that we could choose between it. Hopefully I'll outline some of the ideas of how I and my colleagues uh, tend to approach helping people. Um, and yeah, maybe there'll be an element of respectful criticism of what I see as a failing approach. Um, uh, yeah, hopefully they'll, they'll get all of that. They won't get a technological solution um, you know, a new therapeutic approach for borderline personality disorder, but hopefully they will get a different way of thinking about our problems that might be a bit liberating. Mm -hmm.